0: Hello everyone today we will be looking at a passage from Luke chapter 7 starting in verse 36 and go all the way through the middle of chapter 8 in verse 21. If you haven't read the passage yet and, and looked over it carefully, then I want you to stop this video right now and go ahead and read it through carefully first. Okay, so go for it. It's Luke 7:36 to 8:21. Okay, are you back? And I'm serious go do it if you haven't yet otherwise this probably isn't going to make good sense to you all right let's jump in Um, we start with this story about a sinful woman being forgiven by Jesus just a couple of notes on this in the day in Jesus day oftentimes teachers would have kind of an open dinner where anyone could show up to listen and learn from what's going on at the table maybe even a sinful woman like this could kind of stand in the background What wouldn't have been expected or acceptable was that the woman would show up like this and kind of make a scene in the middle of everybody. Um, So that that would have stood out to people first hearing of this story. Something else to notice that I think is kind of funny, actually interesting in the story is that Jesus was literally reading the thoughts of Simon the Pharisee. If you look at verse 39, it says now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this or saw the woman what she did, he said to himself. If this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this is and then in verse 40 Jesus answering said to him such and such so he answered the question that the man was only asking himself which is so ironic and funny because the Pharisee is thinking if Jesus were a prophet he'd know these things because prophets can kind of read people and all the while he himself just got read by Jesus so kind of funny there Jesus then obviously talks about how the love of this woman, that she has shown for Jesus, how that compared to the love of Simon the Pharisee and the woman was showing so much more. For example, he says, Simon, you didn't even anoint my head with oil or olive oil, stuff that's just cheap and easy to come by, yet she anointed my feet with this costly ointment or perfume, which is expensive and hard to come by. So she loved a lot, because she was aware of how much she had to be forgiven of. Everybody knew how much she had to be forgiven of. Um, She loved so much that she gave this alabaster flask of ointment, which was a a perfume that probably would have cost even a year's salary. And Simon, who on the other hand, didn't probably think he had much to be forgiven of, nor did he even believe that Jesus could forgive sin, um, all that he did for Jesus because he was forgiven little supposedly, Um, was that he bought him dinner. So kind of funny there, I think. Um, The woman, by the way, she's the first person in this gospel that comes to Jesus to be forgiven of sin, it appears. She's not coming to him because of some physical healing that she needs of some ailment or some demon possession. So just something to point out there. And I want to give you in this story, um, just a little bit of my kind of pastoral input and encouragement for you jesus here we see was willing to recline at table with people all over the spectrum of moral cleanliness no matter if their sin was out in the open like the sinful woman and like earlier levi and his buddies or if their sin was hidden like in the mind of this self-righteous kind of judging pharisee like simon jesus was willing to be with them I don't know for you if it's harder to recline at table with one or the other of those types of people, but we will not be like Jesus unless we're willing to be with sinners of all kinds. And though he himself even was a sinner, this Pharisee, what was his attitude towards sinners? Well, it was it was isolation. What was Jesus' attitude? Yes, he would preach the truth about sin, but his attitude wasn't isolation, his attitude was welcoming to sinners to be around him in fact i imagine if this were jesus house he would have told the woman okay thank you for washing my feet now why don't you jump up here and sit or recline at the table with us and eat together with us no matter what the type of sin is what type of sin or internal external he is willing to be with us i love what one commentator wrote um, in the niv application commentary this is daryl bach he says this regarding the pharisees response how many believing communities Are guilty of thinking about sinners and relating to them as the Pharisees did it is so easy to wall people off subtly from God and give the impression that they are far beyond God's reach rather than trying sincerely to bring them into the sphere of God's forgiveness and he takes a little turn here he says in the public debate on the great moral issues of today don't we love to get involved with those the church cannot risk being right While making its case in a wrong way by using the same politics of power and pressure that the world wages, such an attitude will not yield the fruit of forgiveness, especially if the opportunity of forgiveness and the tone of divine love that led Christ to die for sinners never surfaces as the church communicates its message. In pursuing Moral values in our communities, we must never lose the ability to communicate the most important value of all the love of God expressed in the offer of forgiveness. Crusading for righteousness, he says, without compassion for the sinner forgets that we all started out in the same place in need of divine forgiveness. Our attitude or our gratitude to God should translate into offering the same compassion to others that he has given to us. It is Jesus, not us, who has the right to forgive sin. He is the one who calls the heart to change. We as believers serve and point to him. Any righteousness that we possess comes because he has worked in our lives. We haven't earned it, but received it because of his grace. And listen... We are all in the position of the woman at Jesus' feet. We must never forget that truth so we can show others the way to his feet. I love that. And I would ask if sinners can't experience the kindness of Jesus by being near to him, are they ever going to change out of their sinfulness? Would we have ever changed if Christ didn't love us first and lay down his life for us. And now we are all to be like Jesus to all kinds of sinners, no matter what they look like. So I love that story. It's a beautiful story of this woman who loves much because she's been forgiven much. And likewise, we should demonstrate a Christ-likeness um, that we see there. Then we get into that little section about the different people that are accompanying Jesus. Jesus just notice it's all types of people with him not just men but specifically he names women and it's women who were all over the spectrum from from the least of women you could say the the woman who had been possessed by demons all the way to the woman who comes from the courts of the king chusa and um Interestingly, it's, it's these women who we find out out of their own means are providing for the ministry of Jesus, which was a great honor that, that, that Luke is, is ascribing to these women and saying these women were valuable in Jesus' ministry. They were side by side with him, in the work with him. And so um, just something that would have been unheard of to kind of write down in a story like this in the first century, honoring women in such a way would have really stood out to the people that, that heard it or experienced it. Then we jump into the parable of the sower. And the parable of uh, the the lamp under the jar. Obviously, this is a very real life example. Everybody in the first century would be familiar with this agrarian kind of farming, sowing seed, and the different kinds of soils that could fall on. Uh, The only maybe surprising part of of the parable as it's told is that it produces a hundredfold, the good soil produces a hundredfold that yield. Farmers wouldn't expect maybe that much, maybe five or tenfold, but a hundredfold, that would they would recognize as Jesus is telling that, that's extremely bountiful, okay? So hold on to that as we move along. Then Jesus, of course, explains the parable. Um, he notes in verse 11 that the seed is the word of God that's being sown. The soils are the quality of people's hearts or, or their responsiveness to that seed that falls on their ear. Um, And so Jesus is is pointing out that that different people will respond to this message, the same message in different ways. And there's four different ways that he describes. Important for us to realize in this parable is, is that the, the sower Jesus in this case has a purpose or a goal in sowing the seed. The goal of planting the seed or these seeds is not that a plant, pop up and start growing okay that's that's the rocky soil it comes up quick it starts growing we just recently had some some grass seed put in uh, in our backyard side yard and uh, it sprung up really quickly and looked really good for a few weeks and then it quickly died after that would we say that that grass was successful did it accomplish its purpose that we set out for it the the landscapers actually that put it in or they could have said well look after three weeks it looks just beautiful but now i'm looking at it i'm like it doesn't matter the grass yeah sure the grass quote unquote believed right but then after a few weeks later it was dead it wasn't rooted properly it didn't last you plant grass seed because you want green grass for years to come not just for the weekend okay so that's the the purpose in planting the seed another goal of planting seed is is not this that the plant put out, if it's a fruit producing or vegetable producing plant, that it put out just a tiny bit of fruit or little buds that are starting of fruit. This happened to me again uh, recently in my wannabe uh, garden. I planted a, a squash, squash seeds, and um, they literally produced not even lying, in this one very small few inch m- measly little squash plant that then shriveled up and the plant died. Now, was that successful? Of course it wasn't successful. It wasn't worth the work that I put into it. I needed a a, a harvest. I wanted, well, I should say my wife wanted a harvest. I don't really like squash myself, but it wasn't worth what I put in. It's supposed to put out more than the work that I put in and it didn't do so. It wasn't successful. The goal then of planting the word of God or sowing the word isn't just to see some immediate growth or even to see the beginnings of a fruit or two on it. The good soil we read the fourth soil produces a plant that one lasts and two bears much fruit it lasts and it bears fruit that's what verse 15 says it bears fruit with patience ESV says or uh, many translations say with perseverance it's both of those things it, it perseveres and therefore it makes fruit now that I think is connected to the very next parable about the lamp that little analogy we could say a lamp has a purpose. When you light a lamp, the purpose is that it would shine and give light so people can see. Right? You don't light a lamp in order for it not to help people to see. So what do you do? You put it on a stand, as the analogy there says. Very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew five, the Sermon on the Mount. He says you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but you put it under a stand that it would give light to the whole house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others. That's why I'm lighting the lamp, that you can shine before others so that they may see your good works, or could we say fruit, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So do you see that there? A seed is planted for the purpose of of lasting and bearing much fruit. And in a similar way, a lamp is lit for the purpose of staying lit and then to be put on a stand so that the whole house can see. That's the fruit that it bears, you could say. And eventually, I think what verse 17 is saying, eventually the quality of the soil, the quality of the lamp will be revealed. If it's good, eventually you're going to see plentiful fruit or the whole house is going to be lit up. But oftentimes when we are considering the light of the gospel or when we're considering the seed that's sown, we tend to look backwards to the very beginning of the process. We do this when we're looking at other people, kind of evaluating. Well, I wonder, I wonder if they are actually a believer or not, if they're saved or not. And we say, well, I see in this person's life, I I saw the the seed land in the soil. So yeah, they they believed. They're 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 his, <laughs> or I saw the day that their lamp was lit. I saw that fire burst out on that wick. What that may sound like to us is. Um, well, I, I saw so-and-so make a decision for Jesus, we say, right? They believed. I saw them. They were even crying for joy, and they burst up with growth, and I saw that seed sprout up. I saw that, that wick take the flame, and it whoosh, lit up. And I think Jesus would say, based on this parable, well, that's okay, that's a start. But that's not why the seed was planted. That's not why the lamp was lit. But what is the plant doing now? What's the lamp doing now? Is it accomplishing its purpose? Or we might hear, well, so-and-so, they seem to have sincerely believed, and I even saw fruit. I saw a little bit of fruit, a teensy thing. If I peeled back the, the weeds, I could see the fruit in their life. Now, I know that they cared more about money and the pleasures of this life and vacations whenever. I know that was most important to them, but I remember that. That one time that they served soup at the rescue mission, right? Um, I, I saw them do it, so I, I can see that little bit of fruit in their life. And unfortunately, I think what Jesus would say to that is, "That what you're describing is not why that seed was planted. That if you if you look hard enough, you can see a little fruit bud, or if you if you look under the beds, you can see oh, there's a lamp that was hidden under there." As I'm learning this, I I more and more find very little confidence in stories that I see or or, or hear or what I experience when I see a quick, kind of highly emotional, first-time response to the gospel. It pops up quick. Um, Now, some of those decisions, I think, are very genuine. And I think when we find the treasure that Christ is in his kingdom, we should freak out with excitement and, and, and burst forth with growth, hopefully. But what I've learned, mainly based from this parable that gives me confidence that this word of God, the seed has landed on good soil, it's when I see a plant or life that lasts or a faith that lasts and bears much fruit. And it will only do that if it's good soil. In fact, for me, I I think the longer it lasts and the more fruit I see it produce, the more I'm convinced that that was in fact good soil. But we tend to focus on the beginning of someone's faith to determine if it's real and not enough maybe on the yield of their faith. Is it accomplishing the purpose which it has been given, which God has for it. And unless you watch the plant over time, you're not gonna know the condition of the soil. I was faked out by the quick grow fescue and the the little tiny squash that I saw but now they're dead and they're not producing fruit so we have to look at a life of faith as a whole not just on how it started at the beginning I will say though as some of you may know there's some fruit trees that they take years before they ever produce any fruit but they eventually produce fruit right and so we learn from this parable that the, the true faith, good soil, is it's a response to God's word, not in a moment, but over a period of time. Okay? Another way that Jesus talks about this, a famous way he talks about it, is in uh, John chapter 15. See if you can hear in this language the same themes of, of what we read in the parable of the soils. John 15 verse 1, Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Okay, that's a slightly different analogy, but still growth and stuff. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, that sounds like the rocky soil, right? It didn't even produce anything. He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, okay, maybe we start to see it come up. He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so he's eliminating that thorny soil um out of the equation there so whoever he says in verse 5 abides in me and to abide in christ means to to stay with him to remain in him whoever abides in me perseveres in me you could say and i in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from, apart from me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me he says, he's thrown away like a branch and withers so that the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, I recognize that this is a hard teaching, um, especially as we consider the, the life of our loved ones who we hope are in the faith, yet haven't demonstrated the abiding and producing fruit that it is clear good soil should do and so i mean you've seen it before we we kind of grasp at little immature fruit buds in people's life to say see i see a little bit of it there or we um we kind of like lift up the mattresses to say see that that lamp it was lit in there somewhere and unfortunately uh Not everybody who hears the word will bear fruit with perseverance, even if they have a response at the very beginning, that makes sense. And that's the the sad reality that that we come to. Um, But Jesus is doing one other thing with this teaching, at least one other thing. So on the one hand, he's giving this perspective on how people are responding to the message that he's been proclaiming. It's funny, in the beginning of chapter 8, it says that he's going through the cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and then he gives a parable about how, how different people will respond to that news that he's proclaiming. So it's really interesting to me um, how Jesus does this. He's, he's literally acting out as he speaks the, the parable as he speaks it. So he starts by saying, a sower went out to sow his seed. Well, what's he doing with that? He's sowing seed. It's kind of cool how that works together. And just like he's describing how different soils receive the seed in different ways. And as the people who are hearing that, they're responding to that in different ways, just like the soil. So it's happening as he's speaking it. So cool. Um, And I think why Jesus is doing this, one of the reasons is because Jews that he's speaking to would have expected that when the Messiah came and his kingdom came, every Jew would happily receive that, right? But Jesus is assuring them with this parable that that's not the case. It's just one in four different types of soil. Um, Still yet, he's assuring them everything is going along according to plan. This is the way that it is meant to go down. He even tells them God predicted through the prophet Isaiah that seeing they may not see through these parables and hearing, they may not understand. So it's right there, but they just don't get to it. They're not responding as, as good soil does. And Jesus is saying that's 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 the way that it's going to go down. It's even been um, said by God to, to go that way. But it's not only that. Jesus isn't just teaching about the varying responses to the mysteries of the kingdom of God, just so that we can kind of know what's going on as we look at the different people around us. In addition, he's teaching us, teaching his disciples, how to respond to this message. And this is where it gets a little bit more practical for us. Jesus tells the crowd to the parable, and he says in verse 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, you've probably thought before, that's kind of a strange thing to say, right? Like, did Jesus... Was he soft-spoken, and did he need a microphone and a PA system for people to hear him? No, they all heard, but not all of them, he understood, would have ears to hear. And if you notice in the explanation of the parable, all four of the soils heard. That message has, has gone out. They all heard that, that message, or they, they, the seed landed on them but apparently not all of them had ears to hear. Later in verse 18, Jesus goes on to say, and this is really key. If you look at verse 18 in the ESV, he says, take care then how you hear. This is direction to, to, to his disciples, I believe. Take care then how you hear. Now, don't we all know that there are different ways of hearing or listening, right? If you've ever seen kids with their parents or spouses with each other, or even with a friend, we know there are different qualities of how we are listening, right? Well, how, according to scripture here, and according to Jesus, how are we supposed to hear properly? What does this passage teach us? One clue that we can find, it it's a little bit hard to see in there because the, um, the, the translation to English doesn't give us a, a great way to say this. Um, in the New English translation, it kind of helps out in verse 8 by saying this. He who has ears to hear, or the one who has ears to hear, had better listen, okay? The reason they translate it that way, I'll just read their notes. That had better listen, that captures the force of the third person imperative, or that captures the force of the command more effectively than the traditional let him hear, which sounds more like a permissive than an imperative to the modern English reader. This was Jesus' common expression to listen and heed Carefully. So what they're saying is it's it's not a, a passive hearing, like you hear any noise that comes in the room, if you have hearing, but this is active, careful, eager listening. And you won't understand God's mysteries if you just listen. You have to really listen. And so uh, the Net Bible also takes some liberty in translating verse 18 and says, here's how you take care of how you listen. They said, so listen carefully, okay? Good soils listen in that way. Another clue to how we are to hear properly comes, we see, in the disciples' response, who at least at this point, we have to assume the disciples are, are good soil, I think. Um, so when they heard the parable that was spoken to the crowd, how did the disciples listen? How did they listen? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, they asked him what the parable meant. Their asking made them different than the rest of the crowd. They wanted to know. They were eager to learn more. They, you could say, had ears to hear. True faith or good soil doesn't just hear. It hears asking for more. And to those hearers, Jesus is going to keep giving more. It says later in verse 18, for to the one who has... Or to the one who's who's heard well more will be given and from the one who has not or hasn't heard carefully um, even the things that he has will be taken away I don't know if you've ever said something to somebody and they think that they've got it but you you know that they weren't really hearing you and you maybe you hear them repeat that to somebody else and you're like yeah you didn't understand really they have nothing right even what they thought they had was taken away and uh, for me, I, I can see a personal example in this as, I, as I've as i listened to a lot of people over the years who can regurgitate from memory a, a message that they've heard, right? They've kind of superficially heard. They can repeat that message to you and say, yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I've heard that so many times. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. They they heard that like all soils in the Western world, I think, who have heard that message for the most part. Um but i'm not sure that they have had ears to really hear right they didn't listen they're not listening carefully asking to understand they just can kind of regurgitate what what came in their eardrums and then lastly and i won't spend any time here with with jesus and his mother and his brothers but Um, He makes this kind of odd comment that you wonder, what does this have to do with the, the rest of the story? But I think it's in direct relation and following what's just been said about the soils and the lamp. Jesus says in verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who, listen, hear the word of God and do it. So this is how you are to correctly hear, not only eager to know, but eager to do what You've been told. So, doing is this idea. I think it corresponds to bearing fruit or putting the lamp on the stand, right? We don't just hear and believe for no purpose, but there is a necessary result of our faith, and that is to do the will of the Father. That's what three of the four soils lacked the doing that comes from yearning to hear and understand. It's very similar to what we read a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. Get this, that house lasts or perseveres because he did what he heard or he bore the fruit. He didn't just know the blueprint, he did it. And Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Mark's account of this same thing sheds a little bit of light on it. He says, pay attention to what you hear or how you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added. So how should we hear? We should hear eager to understand and do what we hear. That is how we are to listen to the word of the Lord. When you hear the word of God, are you hearing like that?